I love the Fuller House reboot on Netflix. Give me a lazy Saturday morning and 10 episodes of tone-deaf Kimmy Gibbler antics, and I'm a happy man. And this is maybe just a little strange because I'm not particularly drawn to saccharine, bubblegummy, wink-winky entertainment. I like a lot of serious drama and deeply emotional stories and complex narratives and dark humor, but I can get down with that Tanner family. They were one of the very few TV shows I was permitted to watch when I was young. I looked forward to tuning into TGIF on ABC every week. It was a time to unburden myself of the requirements of my religion for just a couple of hours and watch how a family navigated life's quandaries without praying about everything or consulting the Bible or feeling the watchful eye of Jesus silently judging their every move. That was my normal, but the Tanner family had a different MO and watching them was something of a relief. So I have a question for you. When you look back and think of yourself as a kid or a teenager, or even in your young adulthood, does it ever feel like you're remembering a stranger? Or are your past selves a succession of memorials that you fondly revisit? Some folks I know seem very connected to their pasts. Not that they haven't changed or grown, we all change and grow, but some folks hold their stories from childhood or high school like they hold a piping mug of cocoa in a Colorado ski lodge in December. They breathe in the aroma, their face flush from the warmth. Their reminiscences are underpinned with knowing laughter and affectionately adorned with comments like, oh, we were so young back then, or classic Joey. I often wonder what it's like to feel like you know the child you remember. To be able to get inside the head of the teenager in the photographs whose face is a fresher version of the one you still have. To be able to say, classic Matthew, after a mischievous tale of former behavior that could only have been carried out by, well, in my case, a different Matthew. So what is this long-distance relationship I have to my former self? Where does the disassociation come from, and when did this podcast turn into a series of questions I should be asking my therapist instead of hurling into the digital void? Right now, I'm thinking about the songs I started writing when I was nine. The first one I ever wrote was called Your Love. I penciled it out in my basement bedroom and brought it upstairs to sing to my mom, and I still remember every word. Lord, your love is so strong. It's what keeps me going through the day. Lord, your love is so powerful. It will drive any doubt away. And Lord, I wonder how it could be that your love loves even me. Lord, your love is like a river that keeps flowing on and on. It never stops to rest. It's always there And in my times of trouble I know that you care Lord, your love I believed that lyric would win a Dove Award one day. For anyone confused, the Dove Awards are basically the Christian Grammys. And since I didn't know what the Grammys were when I was nine, the Doves were my highest aspiration. But this derivative treacly first composition, was I just parroting the party line of my faith? 
Or did I really believe what I wrote? Did I actually find my nine-year-old self so unlovable that it was beyond comprehension that a God of infinite grace and hope and joy might, I don't know, love me? What doubts was I having in fourth grade that needed to be driven away? And what were those times of trouble I sang about? I mean, I can only assume I was referring to John McGinnis, the bully a grade above me who made recesses and P.E. and walking to the bathroom an absolute nightmare. That was probably the worst of my times of trouble. Unless, of course, you count my unrequited crush on Jennifer Clark, who ruthlessly returned the box of Andy's mints I had purchased for her from Rite Aid on Valentine's Day that year. Some wounds never heal. The second song I ever wrote was a more upbeat praise standard inspired by the lively anthem Sing Your Praise to the Lord by Amy Grant, who else? I titled this Hey Everybody because it was obviously a real attention grabber. Hey everybody, clap your hands and shout and sing and hey everybody, for the Lord's our mighty king and we will be victorious we'll win the battle that draws so nigh because the Lord's so glorious we'll reign with him on high he won the victory so that we could be free so hey everybody clap your hands and shout and sing and praise the Lord our mighty king do you do you know Jesus is God's son Let the whole world show That he's the only one Whoa, look out everyone We've got an evangelist in training over here But again, I'm completely perplexed by the kid who wrote this What was the battle I was so convinced was coming? Was I singing about Armageddon, or did I just pull this from the very common war metaphors that permeated the church back then? You know, onward Christian soldiers and all that. And unless he's a character in a Dickens novel, what nine-year-old uses the word nigh? Honestly. It's not just the songs that baby Matthew wrote that feel so alien. There were so many things I did that don't feel familiar. They don't feel normal or healthy or happy when I look back on them today. Things like watching TV shows in secret because they were forbidden. Hiding the first secular album I ever bought, Tiger Lily by Natalie Merchant, which is still my all-time favorite album, by the way. Because in the 10th and final song, she sings, Damn You Betrayer. Or bringing another kid in our church to tears because I told her God would be disappointed in her behavior. Why was that my job? Maybe even stranger than the things I did, though, are the things I didn't do that I kind of wish I had. Things that feel like little voids, little missing pieces of the Matthew that could have been. A sense of wonder and freedom and shared camaraderie that just isn't in my memories. Because back then, I said no way more often than I said yes. I remember celebrating one New Year's Eve with our church when I was in middle school. We, the youth group kids, went to hang outside in the parking lot. And our hang sesh turned, as it does when you have more hormones than headspace, into a game of spin the bottle. My lifelong friend, Jenny Kane, walked to the center of the circle and spun. A Dr. Pepper label blurred into a maroon vortex, and when it came to rest, I found myself staring at the open mouth of an empty bottle. And that, my friends, would be the only open mouth I would encounter that night, because when push came to shove and lips came to kiss, I declined. I laughed it off, and I went back inside to count down the new year, because... Why? There really wasn't a Bible verse I could point to that identified momentary, awkward, adolescent lip-locking as a sin against God, but I guess that young Matthew wasn't going to risk something so promiscuous. Why did I even know the word promiscuous?
And by the way, the precedent was set. Even though I would, you know, stumble and fool around a few times in high school, I actually wouldn't experience my first kiss until a decade later, when I was 24. Shouldn't everyone have a good spin-the-bottle story? I mean, Kimmy Gibbler and DJ Tanner did at DJ's 13th birthday party in Season 3, Episode 17, 13 Candles. Look, I know these aren't exactly the gravest of oppressions. I know there are severe and even life-threatening forms of spiritual abuse that people suffer all over the world, all the time. I know that for many people, not feeling safe comes from the fact that their faith systems put them in actual physical danger, which is not the same thing as being afraid you might get caught watching Dawson's Creek. But it's still a sad thing to look back on your life and feel like a stranger to your younger self. To only discover in adulthood a freedom and joy and hope that you now realize is missing from your memories growing up. And to realize that the very faith that promised freedom, joy, and hope is actually what stole it away. The little traumas are still traumas. And for some of us, they're the main story we have to tell. They're rote, quotidian, commonplace. They're the underpinnings of our upbringing, and they're the reason the child we remember doesn't feel like us. I think it's okay to take some time to be just a little sad about that. And I think it's okay to just unabashedly revel in any small way that you can trace a thread of that joy and hope and wonder that you were able to manifest in your childhood. To live now what you couldn't live then. To catch up with your old pals DJ and Stephanie and Kimmy and just celebrate the smarmy, cloying, empty calories of a show like Fuller House that might help you remember a moment or two in your childhood when you were for just 30 minutes a week, relieved of the burden of an oppressive religion that turned you into someone you're not. I mean, really, how rude. Spiritual Conversations for the Godless. I'm Matthew Blake. Welcome to Heathen. Hi, Heathens. Welcome to another episode, another conversation, uh, discussion about spiritual things for godless people. Um, I'm Matthew Blake, and I'm super excited about today's conversation. I'm, I'm in Boulder, well, close to Boulder, Colorado right now. Um, I had a little trip planned up here to see some friends, and so, of course, I imposed on <laughs> uh, on said friends and said, hey, I've got a little podcast now, and I would love it if you would chat on it uh, with me. So I'm sitting across the table from Jamie Bamett. Uh, she's been a good friend for a few years now. Uh, hi, Jamie. Hi. I'm so glad that you said yes to doing this. Thank you. Me too. Very much. I know it, it, it we, we had to have a phone call just to like talk about exactly <laughs> what this thing was going to be like and how much am I going to say and, and those kinds of things. And I get it. Like it's, it can be super, it can be tricky talking about this stuff, especially on like a public forum where anybody can listen, including family members and friends from the past. Um, it's like, it's bearing of soul and airing of grief and it's, um, it can be tough uh, to, to think about the potential responses you might get, to, to know that you're going to get probably get some responses that could be, you know, challenging for you. So yes. 
I, I'm just, I'm super grateful that you're willing to, to put yourself out there on this thing. Thank you. Thank you. So um, we met uh, indirectly. We, we knew about each other, I think, long before we met because we had mutual friends from a, a church in San Diego many years ago that we both attended like separately. Actually, you know what? I'm launching into this part already, and I haven't even like given you the chance to say hi and introduce yourself. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Let's do that first, because I like to have the guests introduce themselves so that I'm not like putting words in your mouth or telling your story inaccurately or anything like that. So however you would like to be known to people, uh, let, us, let us know who you are. Um, okay. <laughs> I am currently a school social worker. Um, I went to school in St. Louis and it was, let's see, the second time we lived out there, I guess, when we met. Two and times living in St. Louis. Two times living in St. Louis. Yeah. It's, I'm originally from the area of St. Louis, um, Collinsville, Illinois. And um, we met through mutual friends. Yeah. And didn't actually know each other in San Diego, but we had all the same friends in San Diego and then met in St. Louis when you were there for a stint. <laughs> just, <laughs> just a brief little period. I, uh, yeah, I, I wound up in St. Louis because I was dating someone who uh, went to school there, uh, went to WashU. And um, it was that was an interesting time for us to meet, I think, for, on, bo- for, on both of our sides. I think we were both going through some interesting things. Um, I wound up out there for nine months uh, with a boyfriend I thought I thought was going to be my forever person. Uh, that didn't happen <laughs> for a lot of reasons. And, uh, and I, I ended up kind of getting stuck there in St. Louis for a minute because I had spent all my money moving out there. And uh, um, when I got out there, it was working part-time, so I wasn't really making enough income to even like leave. Uh, when things kind of went south and got bad. So I personally, like, am so glad that you were in St. Louis at that time because (laughs) you and your husband, Chris, were my absolute lifeline there. Like, it was a a hard time. Um, And, I mean, it was a hard time on so many fronts, like emotionally, spiritually, (laughs) relationship-ally, which is not a word, but... um, uh, and I didn't know anybody. I had I had zero friends. The only people I had met out there were, you know, friends, friends of his. Of his. Um, so thank God you guys were there because we we you, you were very generous with your time. With me. <laughs> we had a we had a, a night. You found out I had not seen um, Pretty Woman or what was it? Dirty Dancing. Dirty Dancing. Yeah, <laughs> I think we were going to try and watch Breakfast Club too, but we didn't make it to that. Yeah. But we had like an eighties nineties. Movie night. V- VHS tapes VHS. in the VCR. Which you own, right? <laughs> Not anymore. Not anymore. But yes, at the time I did. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. That was Pizza really fun. and Pretty Woman. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, I spent nine months in St. Louis, and, and you guys were pretty much my only friends for, the, for those nine months, which was a big deal. We were sad when you left, though. Oh. I know you were happy when you left. <laughs> yeah, I needed I needed to get out of there. Yes. Uh, I didn't know what was coming next for me. So what was interesting for me about that time, not to hijack our conversation, but um, uh, when I moved to St. Louis, I was ready to, like, that was the first time I was planning to just completely, like, abandon church altogether. Like, I wanted, for the first time in my life, I wanted to know what it was like to not have church as part of my everyday daily routine. Um, and it just seemed like a good time to do that because I was moving to a place where, you know, I didn't know anybody and there was going to be no expectations for me to show up at a church. I wasn't on any, you know, I wasn't working for a church (laughs) until (laughs) I got there and I could not find a job. Uh, uh, and, and, and one day I saw a Methodist church had posted, they needed a communications manager uh, like a part-time communications manager. So I kind of like bit the bullet and was like, Ugh, let's apply to this. And of course that's the job I, I get, right? Like, um, so I'm trying, it was my first attempt to be a heathen, like legit. And it didn't work out because <laughs> I just ended up on another church staff, but it was, that, that was actually really great. It was, it was my first time, uh, in the world of Methodists and, um, this UMC church was really cool. Like they were, you know, obviously 
totally open and affirming that they hired me knowing I, I, I came out hot with that in the interview. I'm like, I'm gay, just so you know. <laughs> um, and they, they hired me and had a, a female reverend, and she was phenomenal. Um, you know, it was an older congregation, and I didn't end up becoming really part of the, like, church life there. Um, but it was something. It paid some bills. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's, uh, okay, yeah, let's hear maybe a little bit about your uh, spiritual background, your spiritual upbringing. What, where did you come from? I was raised Lutheran. And there's there's two different um, sects of Lutheranism. There's the Lutheran Missouri Synod, which is what I grew up in, Lutheran Church Missouri Synod (LCMS), and then there's the ELCA, Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. And the ELCAs were much more progressive. Um, they allowed female pastors. They allowed gay people to attend church. Like even back when you were a kid, like that was yes. wow. That's I did cool. not find out about ELCA until I was an adult. <laughs> really? I didn't even know it existed. So I um, went to a Lutheran grade school and a Lutheran high school, which consisted of my grade school. I had chapel every Thursday and religion class every day. Every classroom had an altar inside of it. Interesting. Which I just remembered that a couple of years ago hmm. after seeing a picture somebody posted on Facebook of a classroom in my old school. <laughs> so what is the, what's the purpose of the altar in, in a classroom? Like, is it just like a memorial memento kind of thing or is it? I vividly it? remember they would have the advent candles set out mm. and they would light a candle for each day of advent. And then we would discuss what that meant. Um, during religious, during religion class, yeah. that altar was used huh. and there was, prayers multiple times a day. We said the Pledge of Allegiance to the American flag and to the Christian flag yeah. every single day. We did that too. Do you still remember the Pledge of the I Christian don't. flag? I don't. I don't think I do either. Pledge of Allegiance to... Yeah, I, the I don't. The Christian I, flag. I, I totally of, don't yeah. remember it. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that do remember yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, there's probably people who are like, they're running it in their heads right now. Um, yeah. Uh, so, okay. Yeah. We, yeah. Christian schools. Yeah. I I know it well. In my, um, high school, we had, we had chapel three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday and religion class every day. Yep. So it was, it was intense. That is intense. Kind of like beating us over the head with a Bible. Yeah. It was a lot. Um, yeah, we had a week, just a weekly chapel in my high school. Um, so three, yeah, that's, that's big. I was, uh, elected chaplain my senior year, (laughs) which was, um, yeah, like a legitimate student government association position in our school. (laughs) And I was responsible for like putting on those weekly chapels and, you know, I think schedule, I don't even know what I did. I think I scheduled the speakers and led the music and that kind of stuff. But that's how I got my SGA experience through (laughs) chapel. (laughs) Oh, Yes. Oh, I was in the FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Oh, you were? In high school. What was your sport of choice? Uh, well, I continued in it even when I wasn't in sports. Yeah. But freshman year, I played volleyball and basketball. Um, sophomore year, I didn't, I didn't end up playing either sport, but I still was in the FCA sophomore year. Yeah. And that felt weird. <laughs> like being in it and not playing a sport? Not being or? an athlete. Yeah, well, that's why I never went. I mean, I was I was you know drama kid in high school, so I, ne- I never felt like I would be welcome at FCA. But they yeah. always said that it was just like, whatever. Like they did. Anybody could come. Yeah. What, what ha- I, because I don't know, I never went, what happened at Fellowship of Christian Athletes meetings? Um, we... Give us a peek behind the curtain. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. It was at somebody, a different person's house every time. Oh, really? And I know we always started with a prayer and probably a Bible study. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the time you just watched movies, played in the backyard. Like it was just kind of a big party at oh. that point. So it's kind of like youth group. Yes. Okay. But just youth group for sporty people. <laughs> yes. Speaking of youth group, I was definitely in the youth group all through grade school and high school. Yeah. And went on the overnight trips and all that. Yeah. How big was your church? Uh, I don't know. It was pretty big. Yeah. Not like a mega church though. But like 
couple hundred, three yeah, hundred. Yeah. Several hundred. Now it's even bigger. Oh, yeah. They built a new building and mm. added onto the school and it's ginormous now. So did you like, were your friendships with peers? Like, did those come from school or church or a mix? Like where were you? Both. Well, my, my church was attached to the school. It was oh, all, okay. it was all one thing. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> So all of my friends I went to school with yeah, and kids in the neighborhood that did not go to my school, um, we were taught to proselytize mm. and to tell them the good news at, mm. at church. <laughs> and that felt awkward being a kid and yeah. trying to get them to come to church. And one of my friends down the street was Catholic and Lutherans don't really like Catholics. Right. <laughs> So you're having... Martin Luther broke away from the Catholic Church. Yeah. So <laughs> yep. that was always awkward. And I, I just don't think I don't think children should be required to proselytize. No. I don't think anybody should feel like that, <laughs> that should be a an actual action item on your thing, you know, to-do list for your faith. Like that is but I mean, yeah, me too. And Wait. it's so awkward and weird. You're right. Like talking to especially your Catholic friend, like that had to sound weird from their perspective. Like, um, I go to church. I'm good. Like, yes, I, I got the Jesus thing down and you're sitting here telling me that I don't like that's So, yeah. And I don't think I ever did it cause I was a really <laughs> shy kid, but I remember thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that really bothered me was my grandpa was Catholic mm-hmm. and he came to church with us a couple of times and he was not allowed to take communion with us mm. because you had to talk to the pastor beforehand and he had to know, how you felt in your heart and you had to be really, you had to be confirmed and baptized and all that in the Lutheran church. And that always really bothered me. I thought I didn't want to belong to an exclusionary, anything like that. Yeah. And actually my, um, I got confirmed in eighth grade and we had to do, I forget what it's called, but you have to do a little speech in front of the church. In my original speech, I wrote in there that I probably was not going to be Lutheran when I was an adult. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and I, of course, was not allowed to say that. I had to take that out. Ah, uh, dang it. It's so badass, but, though. <laughs> yeah, I just, I knew that I didn't want to be a part of something that excluded people. Yeah, I didn't know that for a long time. I, I don't know that I even recognized how exclusionary it was until reflecting on it more as an adult. Yes. Um, but you're right, the communion table was a huge place of dividing lines. Yes. Um, we didn't have a, any kind of confirmation process or anything like that. Um, it was more of a, uh, honor system, I guess, uh, kind of thing, but there's still mm-hmm. expectations around what you're supposed to believe in order to take communion. And then there were specific times that I remember growing up when, uh, people were prohibited from taking communion and, and it was pub, like there was an announcement made like during, oh, during wow. the church, like, yeah, before, you know, announcement time, like, Hey, we're having a potluck next Sunday and, uh, don't forget to bring your kids to Awana on Tuesday. Oh, and, uh, Joe Smith can't, can't take communion, um, until he repents of sin X, Y, Z. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's, rough right yeah calling people out in front of a large group of people yeah the the table when when i think about it now because i go to a church now that we do it every week um and it's we're very like overly explicitly clear that it's an open table and no matter where you are you know like you're absolutely welcome um and and to me like that that's what it should have always been, yes. you know, like it, it, it's just hard to even think about how, how you get to a position like that in, in group think, maybe, maybe the group think is totally what enables it, but, um, where you've just got these, you know, a congregation of two, 300 people who are all like, yeah, that's cool. Um, we're just kind of draw that line and so-and-so can't take because of X, Y, Z. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the only, reflecting on it now, too, the only times I can remember it being, um, people being prohibited, it was because of, quote, unquote, sexual sin. Like, it was, there was an affair, um, there was a pregnancy outside of marriage, that kind of stuff. Um, so, 
from my perspective, again, like that, the sti- that just raised the bar, the stigma bar on, you know, sex. Yeah. Because that's, that, those are, you know, that's the primary <laughs> concern of the church, <laughs> of evangelical church, uh, is your sex life. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, and that, and it just, things like that are what, you know, increase that stigma for me hugely, like stay pure because otherwise you can't have the bread. Since you brought that up, Mm -hmm. I'd like to discuss my sex ed class in (laughs) high school. Let's talk about it. Um, and we don't have to discuss this at length, but, um, in my high school, we were taught, keep the pill between your knees. Keep the pill? Keep the pill between your knees. Like keep your legs closed so that abstinence the pill doesn't <laughs> doesn't drop. Yeah, wow. That was my sex ed class. Th- that's it. That's it. Nothing about the mechanics of sex. Nothing about your body's changing. Well, we learned about reproductive organs, and they briefly discussed condoms, but oh wow, no. Yeah, we didn't even get the condom talk. Abstinence only. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were in abstinence only school as well, Christian school. Um, God, I, I just remember a lot of like uncomfortable laughter when we yes. finally had the, <laughs> the sex talk with our teacher who was, I think Mr. Sugg, uh, was our PE teacher. And he, 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 he led us in that. He was like a Bible slash PE teacher and, and he led <laughs> us in our sex ed. And of course we were segregated guys and girls. We had um, a couple of those. Yeah. But I don't, I don't remember anything from it other than. I got my I got my sex education from in the first episode. Uh, Leanne and I talked about Dr. Dobson and focus on the family. <laughs> I got my sex education from James Dobson. <laughs> it was a cassette cassette series called "Preparing for Adolescence." It was a book actually, really? but my my mom gave me the cassette series. <laughs> oh my god! And bless her heart, she you know we just didn't talk about that stuff in our house, <laughs> so she handed me this this these series of eight cassettes front front and back. Um, and it's just Dr. Dobson telling prepubescent teenagers what, what's coming down the way. And I remember, um, <laughs> I called my, when, when we, when he finally like explained what sex was on this tape series, I was like, <gasps> I had no idea. I, I, I was very, very sheltered, did not know where babies came from. Um, it, it, you know, it was so gross. It was so disgusting to me. Like I had not, I don't think I had entered any kind of puberty yet at this point when I got these tapes. So, um, I called my sister up who's three years, three years younger than me. <laughs> and I was like, Amy, come here. Have you ever heard about sex? And she was like, yeah, I've heard that word before. <laughs> I'm like, this is what it is. And I pushed play on the cassette tape. So yeah, my sister and I both got our sex education from <laughs> James Dobson. Which is just awful when uh, I think I'm about it. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, that's, that's really rough. So what, how, what do you think about that abstinence-only education now as, a, as someone not, who works with kids? It's not effective. Yeah. It's not effective. Yeah. I think that we need to teach kids how to use birth control because it's going to happen anyway. Mm-hmm. And here's the correct way to use it. Yeah. So that you don't have this thing in your life that changes everything and makes time stop. Yeah. And it's just, it's a lot to deal with. Yeah. Man. It doesn't work. How, how um, widespread do you think abstinence-only education is nowadays? I think it's still alive and kicking yeah. quite a bit, especially in the smaller towns mm-hmm. and the southern towns and the Midwest. <laughs> yeah. For sure the Midwest still. Yeah. Yeah, it's still around. Yeah. I think, I think it's a big contributor to issues of. Yeah, well, exactly what you said, the thing that just stops your life. Um, and then, you know, kids having kids. Yeah. So, hmm. Huh. Yeah. Um, I don't remember how we got on all this, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you were talking about high school, and um, what, what about after high school? What did you... Did you, like, stick around the Lutheran church? Um, I didn't really go to church much in college. Mm-hmm. I think I might have tried out one or two services and I just, I wasn't sure. I didn't have any friends that went to church was part of it or wanted to go to church and that was part of it. But the other part of it was I just, I was really questioning things, but didn't want to talk to anybody about it and really didn't want to face my questions. Yeah. 
I was just kind of there. I wasn't, I was scared. I didn't know what to believe, what I should believe, what I shouldn't believe. So that really, college was really pivotal for my questioning what I want the rest of my life to look like, but I was too scared to really go into too much thought about it. And then, um, let's see. What do you think was behind the fear, like, of asking those questions at that time? My family still being very religious and trying to figure out how to say that to them and what do I believe because I don't even know what I would say to them at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I didn't want to get up early on Sunday mornings because I was always <laughs> out late Saturday night. <laughs> so that was part of it too. Yeah. But I just, yeah, my my dad's side of the family is, um, they're, they're Catholic, but they're non-practicing Catholics essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but still religious. Mm-hmm. My mom still goes to church every Sunday and yeah, that's always a hard conversation. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Mine too. Um, I'm still, we're like, I, I don't know. How, I don't know when this episode is going to air or whatever, but we're quite a few episodes deep into, uh, this podcast and I still haven't, I haven't, I haven't talked to my mom, uh, about it yet. I didn't even tell her it was coming, you know, that. I'm making this thing that is going to, there will be a lot of conversation about, you know, my upbringing, which you gave me (laughs) (laughs) on this thing. So, uh, it'll be interesting to have that conversation with her soon, I'm sure. But, um, so you had thoughts about you didn't want to be part of this exclusionary thing, but at the same time, it's like you, you just weren't ready to engage with those. Yes. I mean, it, it turned your whole world upside down. Yeah. If if it's everything that you've known up until, you know, 20 years old, 20, 21 years old, what do you do with those 20 years? I mean, yeah. that's all you know. Yeah. So how do you figure out what to do next? Yeah. I, I'm just, I'm thinking about, <laughs> I'm thinking about my own experience with that and just how because I, I think I had those questions from a very early age too, like questions of this isn't something about this isn't resonating. Isn't, isn't like it's not clicking with the experience in the world that I'm having. Like it, you're giving me these answers, but they're not, they're not the fix, but how long I held out on actually asking those questions, you know, it just, it took a long time for it that is, reason, for that exact yeah. reason. Yeah. It tur- it's, it's everything. It's your whole world, so. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a long process that I'm still involved in. I'm still trying to figure out Mm -hmm. what I believe and who I am and what I want the rest of my world to look like the rest of my life. But we, so after college, um, we tried out two different Methodist churches in St. Louis Mm because they are open and affirming. And that was my number one thing. I don't want you to be exclusionary. I want to be able to attend church with everybody. Yeah. And so the Methodist church is great about that. It still just didn't feel like a fit either place. Yeah. It just, we were very much the youngest people there. (laughs) And I just, I wasn't getting out of it what I wanted. Yeah. One of the churches was really far away. So it was like 40 minutes to get there. Yeah. Are you going to hang out with those people other than on Sundays? Probably not. Yeah, right. So, did, did you have anything in particular that made that like flip that switch for you that that made the priority being able to do church with everybody? Like, or was that just something that you innately felt like everybody should be able to do this? Why are we? Why are we excluding? Um, or was there an experience? I just was questioning it. Why, when I knew that my grandpa was. Christian, right. I couldn't understand okay. why he couldn't come to a Christian church with us. Of course. You, yeah. I, the labels just killed me. And I just, why do we have to say, oh, because he's Catholic, he can't. Yeah. I got hung up on the Catholics when I was Lutheran. <laughs> because my dad's side of the family grew up Catholic. And yeah. I thought, well, why can't we all go to church together? This makes no sense. We're a family. Mm. I don't think we need to do that. Yeah. And so as a kid, you're just like, well, I want to play with everybody. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't I don't want to exclude somebody because of a specific thing. Right. So which we lose quickly as we yes. as we age. Um 
for me, it was the Presbyterians because I went to a, you know, an interdenominational school and my, my best friend in high school was Presbyterian. And we, that, that was what we spent a lot of our, what, what I would have called back then, like our deep talks were about like, (laughs) um, doctrine and, and the differences between, you know, dispensationalism versus, you know, like the crazy stuff that I don't even know how to talk about anymore as an adult back then I, it was like all I cared about. Um, and times prophecy and free will versus, you know, being oh, predestined yeah, and all of that good stuff. A lot of questions about free will. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh yep. man. I remember two questions specifically asking my pastors, do pets go to heaven? <laughs> and one pastor, I did not like his answer. And the other one was, I believe that everything you love will be in heaven with you. Oh, and I really liked that answer. That is similar to, and I've, I've actually already told this story on this podcast, but that was similar to the answer my mom gave me when I asked her that question, which was a beautiful thing. She, she told, she said, heaven is a place where you're perfectly happy. So she asked me, do you need, this was after our, our first dog had died, Ginger. She was like, do you need Ginger to be happy? And of course, you know, I'm a tearful I think I was probably five or six when Ginger died and I'm like yes of course I need Ginger to be happy like <laughs> yeah she is the source of happiness <laughs> um and mom was, was your like, first word right it was my it's first ginger. word yeah Ginger <laughs> yep <laughs> um and and my mom said yeah then Ginger will be there if that's what you need then yes. Ginger will be there so yeah that's a nice that's a good answer good answer I I'm gonna yeah log that away if I ever have have to answer that question for a child <laughs> <laughs> Um, or should I just launch right into, well, let's talk about the nature of heaven and whether it's an actual place or not. Yeah, probably. And souls. <laughs> yeah, probably yes. not. Um, so we've got a little list we're working from here, right? Things that we've... Well, let's get into San Diego then. Yeah. So when Chris and I moved to San Diego, the Proposition 8 was happening it was 2008 and they were trying to out essentially outlaw gay marriage is that right yeah the state had um the state had made gay marriage legal in california um the the justice system the the judicial system had made gay marriage legal and so it 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 wound up on a ballot for the people to vote on uh, to take it down and that was what prop 8 was on our ballots so Chris and I went to the No on Prop 8 rally and um, saw a big billboard that we that was about a very open and affirming church, um, and it seemed like it was geared towards the younger crowd. Mm-hmm. So we checked it out, and we loved it, and that's where we met um, a lot of people that have now since moved to the Denver area. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was like this San Diego-Denver <laughs> migration. Yeah. yeah. So... That's definitely um, got me reignited about church and religion and mm. because they were, um, I guess, considered disciples of Christ. Yeah. I don't really know much about disciples of Christ, but they're, it just seemed like they were a lot more flexible to kind of feel how they wanted to feel. Yeah. Anybody could go, atheist, Christian, what have you, gay, straight, um, and it was really nice to be able to be hanging out with people that... That person next to me might not believe in God, but they're still here. That's really cool. Yep. Mm -hmm. So that got me really excited. And then we moved away from San Diego and just couldn't find anything like that after that. We moved back to St. Louis, actually. Yeah. And there's just... I vividly remember um, a couple of emails I sent to a couple of different churches in, in St. Louis trying to figure out if they were open and affirming. And I got all these Bible passages saying why they weren't open and affirming and... I'm like, you know what? This is not for me. I'm so tired of justifying mm. everything and making excuses for the Christian church when you're still sitting here excluding people. I'm not okay with that. Yeah. So that, the second time we moved back to St. Louis, it it really got me thinking, questioning even more. That's when um, Chris started really questioning things. Mm-hmm. He read a book called Godless by yeah. Dan Barker. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, so when your significant other starts questioning things and falling away, that yeah. that's really scary. Yeah. Cause I'm like, he, he 
didn't grow up going to church every Sunday like I did. Yeah. Um, every Sunday we were in church. So again, to really face that and figure out my whole world is turning upside down. What do I do? What do I believe in? How do I deal with this? So he thought, um, you know, maybe you should read this book. And I did. And he kind of disputes a lot of different things in the Bible with science yeah. and facts. Yeah. And I remember that all the, the stuff that you say in the beginning of your first podcast, <laughs> I mean, why did I believe that all of a sudden there's hundreds of people that are now eating this bread? How did this bread multiply? How did this wine multiply? And how did Jonah survive inside of the whale? And all these stories that we believed yeah. were facts. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny because you not only grow up with those stories when you're, when you're in these, you know, um, in, in, in church growing up, you grow up with these stories that are presented as facts that are very mythological and yes. have tons of magic, you know, yes. they, they have all the elements of a good fairy tale, right? And you grow up with fairy tales <laughs> and you're told that one is true and one's not. And it's like, how are you, how are you supposed to discern Especially as a child? As a kid, yeah. yeah. What's what? And then, I mean, that's where so much of the, in my opinion, that's where so much of the uh, black and white, you know, binary thinking begins um, that we now see in adults all across of America right now, right, who are just like evangelical, like God-fearing Christians who are like, Trump is our man. Mm -hmm. This guy who, you know, admits openly to being a sexual offender, you know, sexual assault. Uh, I mean, like how, like how... I asked the question and I also know the answer, you know, it's like, how, how can you possibly like think that this guy is representing anybody's best interests? And yet yeah. I'm like, okay, but I, I mean, I there, but for the grace of God go, I, you know, like mm-hmm. I would, I would be that person if I, if I hadn't grown up gay, like I would be that person. I just know it because I, otherwise I would have had nothing in my life that would have othered me, you know, made me. Um, not fit into that world. I would have fit perfectly because I was so good at it. I was so good yeah. at being a Christian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's all you knew. Yeah, it was all and I that's knew. That's all you know. I, you get I, really ex- good at it. I excelled at it. It was. I was everybody's favorite. Like I just. I was. I was the golden golden child. And um. And yeah, so I would have. I would have grown up to be an asshole. I, I did. I'm still an asshole half the time, but <laughs> no, I, hopefully, I'm just a little bit less of an asshole because of being gay. So, so are you saying being gay saved you? Yeah, absolutely. Not Jesus? That's, mm, <laughs> that is true. That is true. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know that I can attribute any kind of salvation to Jesus at this point in my life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you saving for saving me. Uh, queer, queerness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So. When this started happening for Chris, your husband, what was, was any of your, like the fear there that like, I mean, did you still believe in like that literal hell and and those kinds of, so like that was a fear for you? Like, oh my gosh, like what's going to happen to my husband's eternal soul kind of thing? Yes. That definitely went through my mind. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have the questions of like, well, can't, can't. I don't want to speak for you, but I, if I were in that situation, I would start having the question of like, oh my gosh, can I stay with this person? Like if they become a heathen. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was trying to figure out how am I going to explain this to my family? How am mm. I going to justify this? Or do I just keep it a secret? Yeah. Yeah. And it's... Ugh. Oh, that's that was, so sad. Yeah. And I mean, Dan Barker talks a lot about heaven and hell in his book. Mm-hmm. So that really... <laughs> was very eye-opening for me Hmm. in figuring out where do I want to take this now. Yeah. It was just the beginning of my journey of questioning. (laughs) Yeah. Just the beginning. Yes. So what, what came next? Um, the church we were going to again, just didn't seem like a good fit. And then I started to realize there's, there's a lot of magic and pretending. Like if I pray, then I'll get these things. Mm. And many, many times in my life that didn't happen for me. Yeah. So then it was, why do bad things happen to good people type thing? Mm-hmm. 
And why do I think that doing this magic thing is going to help me when it's not? Yeah. So that was huge for me on many different levels. And having convers, I got very involved in um, some community organizations in St. Louis and trying to figure out how I fit in there, too. So that was huge because they were all church people. Yeah. So I wanted to stay involved. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Can, can we jump back to something you, you just said, because uh, it's triggering thoughts for me, um, the idea of praying and, and being disappointed. Yeah. Um, when I think about my life and the things I, I prayed for, I mean, one of the first things I remember praying for um, was my dad's dad, my grandfather, who passed away of a brain tumor. Um, and it was a it was a pretty, you know, rough passage. Like, um, he was sick for a long time. Um, actually, no, even before that, (laughs) I can laugh about this now. I was a bedwetter for years, like into like middle school, Mm. like, uh, uh, like just, it was a bad problem for our family. It was a constant source of source of tension between me and my parents and you know, whatever. Um, you were a heavy sleeper, weren't you? Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm still a freaking heavy sleeper. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so that, that was like my one and only prayer as a kid, right? Like, (laughs) Oh oh, God, please just let me not (sighs) wet the bed. Like daily. That, that was my prayer for years. And, um, I honestly don't even remember when it stopped or whatever, but I know that like I had given up on praying for that long before I stopped wetting the bed. So like that was my, that was probably my very first disappointment with prayer. Yeah. And, and it was just the first in a long string of feeling like I'm being told one thing about what prayer is and, and how it works and what it's supposed to do for us. And I, my experience is completely antithetical to that. Yep. Um, and again, it's amazing how long you'll stick it out. Like I, I, I you know, I, I, it, it took a long time for me to get to the point where I was like ready to ask those questions myself too about yeah. why am I doing this thing? Like, what is prayer? I don't, I, I don't pray now, not in any kind of traditional sense. Um, I mean, I barely even meditate. Like I, it's hard for me. To, <laughs> it's just hard for me to like sit still. Um, but I do have some people in my life who talk about prayer and what it does for them. Um, and you know, they they have uh, views of it that I think are much more much healthier um, just in terms of how it's a uh, it's some people view it just as therapy you know it's just like a way of like talking out your your feelings um, I think it's really like getting to your inner strengths like you're talking to yourself mm-hmm. and trying to get at your own inner strengths to be able to help yourself yeah it's kind of how I view it yeah do you do it do you pray no. Yeah. I haven't in a very long time. Yeah. But I, if we wanted to get into the social work piece, um, let's talk about social work. I, um, this is, this yeah. is your life calling, right? <laughs> like it is. Yeah. And I didn't know that for a very long time. I was very late to declare my major. I was, it was the second semester of my sophomore year of college when I finally declared my major and social work didn't exist at my college. <laughs> so I had to go with family and consumer sciences mm. With an option in family services. Family and, and consumer sciences. Okay. All it's right. a lot of different things under that umbrella. Yeah. So I had to get my master's in social work to do anything that yeah. I wanted to do anyway, but especially because I, that was, really wasn't social work. Right. Um, I did take a social work class, but that was about it. So anyway, um, in social work, we're taught to, to really get at people's strengths. Yeah. And... If a person's spirituality is a strength for them and they use it to help themselves, then we need to allow them to discuss that. No right. matter what, you, you, you're not there for yourself. You're not thinking about your own beliefs. Right. You're there for that person to discuss what's going in wrong for them or right and what are their coping skills. And mm. a lot of, for a lot of people, it's religion and church and praying. Hmm. Um, I worked at a homeless, a day center for the homeless in St. Louis. And I had to pray with people over the phone. There was a man that was suicidal 
and I wasn't feeling like religious at that point in time. Mm -hmm. Um, but I sat there and prayed with him on the phone because he, you know, was maybe going to kill himself and you got to do what you got to do and put your own beliefs aside at that point and do what's best for the, the client. Absolutely. And there were many times where, even still, even still at the school I'm at now where, where we discuss Christianity, we discuss religion. Um, actually there's, there's a couple of different faiths at my school now. Um, so it's, we've had great conversations about religion and how that's helping them and, and some aspects, how it's not helping them and trying to work with them around that. I'm not a pastor, so I can't really get into too much in depth about it. Um, right. but it's really interesting to have those conversations. I think it's important to have those conversations because many, many, many people are still religious Yep. and we need to work with them on that and view it as a strength for them. Hmm. So, and that, that's your approach to that then when that comes yes. into your sphere, like I'm going to see how I can pull out, pull out the, this person's strengths Yep. Through their faith. Yes. Hmm. Sometimes I've asked if they go to church. Sometimes they'll tell me. Yeah. And so if I pick up on that, then that is, you know, I got to figure out, is it something that is hurting them right now? Because like you, like, you know, a lot of people have had bad experiences in churches Mm -hmm. and do we need to work through that? Or is it something that is really helping them? Wow. That is like... How, how do you even begin to make that distinction? You know, like, especially if people can't be honest about what their experience is in church. Like I wasn't for so long. I, you know, I, I wouldn't have said that my issues in college, I would not have said that my issues were, um, stemmed from my spiritual upbringing. I would have claimed that as like, no, this, my spiritual, my spirituality is going to save me from my issues. Um, which was not the case. Um, so how do you like, do you fi- ever find yourself in situations where you're like sensing that somebody's not able to like see the damage that is being yes. done to them by their faith? Yes. Wow. What do you have to do there? You just have to. Like- oh man, it's actually a very recent conversation I had with um, a little girl, and she was telling me about how she felt the need to proselytize to her friends. Mm. Um, I really had to put my own comments and beliefs aside and just ask her how she was able to handle that. And is your mom helpful? I mean, how, how can I help you with that? Um, what does your pastor tell you to do? So yeah. you really just kind of need to remove yourself from that and figure out what is in the best interest of that person. That, that's tricky. That's <laughs> kind of have to maybe sometimes debrief afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if anything, that is God's work. Like, <laughs> because, and, and, and that story right there, I think, confirms to me that I could never do what you do. <laughs> like, I, w- I just, to be able to, like, pull back to that degree and say, like, let's talk about you. Know, you. Let's let you talk about you and not to put myself in, in that girl's shoes and feel the, the guilt and the shame that I used to feel oh God, yeah. when I wouldn't tell you know, a, 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 a cousin or a, a, um, you know, a schoolmate or whatever. I mean, most of the people in my world were Christian, but there were occasionally, you know, I feel like I would encounter someone at a, like a second cousin at a family reunion or something. And I, I do remember that specifically actually asking my mom, like, I think I need to, you know, evangelize and get, get so-and-so saved and the guilt and the and shame that you feel when you don't do it or when you don't follow yes. through, or even if you try and you quote unquote fail at saving someone, like that's too much pressure for any child. Yes. What? Yeah. Speaking Ooh. of guilt and shame, um, that when I finally decided to stop going to church and stop praying and stop what I realized was that it was holding me back, that religion was holding me back from so many different things. It was like a huge brick just lifted off of my chest. Mm. It was the guilt and shame Mm. that just immediately went away. That was huge for me. That just that mental health feeling of, oh my God, I don't have to let this hold me back from what I want to do with my life or how I feel about things anymore. I don't have to feel bad Mm. or guilty about anything. 
It was huge. Yeah. I For me, I still struggle with that in terms of where where my friendships come from and where I, because I still do get most of my, my community and my relationships from church. It's the language I know. It's like I grew up, I can slide in, I can speak it, speak to people. They can speak to me. We, we, there's common ground there that you only get from, you know, having like that being your culture of birth. Right. Yeah. Like, so like, well, yeah, what, what, what do you, what do you do for community? <laughs> like, how do you find that in your life now? Um, I do find it in my work quite a bit, actually. I, I'm very passionate about social work and working with kids mm. and I find community and spirituality and helping kids. And I do quite a bit with the parents as well. There's yeah. some family therapy that happens sometimes. And that's definitely where I, I believe you can find spirituality in a lot of different forms. Yes. For me, work is a big part of it. Nature, um, hanging out with friends, even listening to podcasts. <laughs> oh, and, hell yeah. Yeah. It's huge I mean, for me. Long before I got into podcasts, I was just listening to TED Talks. Yeah. And TED Talks, I realized I got that same feeling that I would get through mm. sitting through church. Yeah. So I would, every time I would work out, I would listen to a TED Talk. And that just really got me going for, you know, the next couple of days until I did that again. And that to me was where I was finding that same feeling that I needed whenever I would sit through church. Yeah. Along with exercising. Mm. That definitely is helpful too. Yes. Exercising in nature. Bingo. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. what it is for me. Beautiful. Um, yeah. It's funny. Like I will, there's podcasts I just listen to sometimes almost on autopilot. Like I'm not even necessarily processing the information. It's yeah. just that I feel like that. I feel like that particular host or whatever is just part of my routine and my life now. Yes. Like I feel yep. community with those things. And that's, I mean, that's why I'm sitting here with you because once I realized that that was a thing for me, that community, community can be built around anything. <laughs> um, I wanted to have these kind of conversations and like just make space for other people to, to, participate and listen and and make it part of their weekly routine if they so desire yeah um yeah i love that there's the prospect for community anywhere um anywhere anywhere really good community because uh, that was the other lie i think that i grew up yes. believing was that well you can have friends and you can um you know, whatever, but it's not going to be, it'll never be like what you have at church. It'll, mm. you know, you won't have the same depth. You won't have the same connection. And that's just untrue. That's deeply, deeply untrue. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm in a relationship right now where my partner's, he, he does not come from a particular, um, you know, religious background. He's very spiritual, but you know, we don't, we don't speak the same language when it comes to spirituality. Um, I, I, I think I baffle him a lot when mm-hmm. I, when I uh, uh, talk about my upbringing. It's just, it's super foreign to him. He doesn't get it. And similarly, like he, he's got an upbringing story that to me in some ways sounds like a dream because, it, you know, there, there were no religious restrictions on him. Um, and yet, you know what? We have, we have community. He and I have a deep relationship that I love and like that whole unequally yoked bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck that. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. I still believe everything happens for a reason. That's still something that I hold on to, whether that's religious or spiritual or new age or what have you. Mm. (laughs) That's still something I very much believe in. Yeah. That this is a great segue because what I want to start doing on this podcast and I haven't done it, uh, in previous episodes, uh, is answer that question. Cause for me, that's the question I don't know the answer to fully is what do I believe? I can talk all day about what I don't believe, but it's so much harder for me to put a, you know, put, put some actual names on the things that I do claim as like a belief, but you, that's, you just said one right there. You believe everything happens for a reason. And I haven't put a label on myself of anything, really. Yeah. I don't 
feel the need to have to do that. Mm-hmm. It's a conversation. If people are interested in what I believe and why, that's a conversation I want to have with you. I don't want to sit here and tell you that I'm atheist or I'm agnostic or I'm this or that. I It's it's a conversation because, again, I like you, I don't really know what I believe. Mm. So I can tell you everything that I've talked about in this podcast and mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. There's many things that I'm not discussing on this podcast for a reason. Yeah, sure. <laughs> that is involved in, you know, my upbringing and, and the religious aspect of it. But yeah, that is a hard question to answer. It is. I believe that I was not meant to be Lutheran my whole life from the age of 12. Mm-hmm. I believe that everything happens for a reason. I believe there are good people in this world and I want to focus more on the good. Mm. I believe that I was put on this earth to help people. Um, right now, specifically kids. <laughs> mm. So I believe that good things can happen when you try really hard. Mm. Um, I don't believe that prayer is going to make good things happen for you necessarily. I believe that that is your own strengths and abilities and determination and tenacity to help you get through things. Mm. So amongst a lot of other things. <laughs> Those are some really good things. <gasps> I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to listen back to that several times <laughs> and, and may even <laughs> appropriate some of them into my own. Um, Jamie Bamett, thank you. Thank you. For sitting here with me. And Murray, who is your cat, who is in your lap right now, <laughs> sitting here with us too. This has been really great. I'm really glad you're joining this podcast because I think it's going to help a lot of people. Thank you. It's super cool. I hope so. <laughs> If, if, if it's just even a handful, then that's awesome. Yes. All right. Till next time. All right. Cool. Thanks for listening to Heathen. I'll be back next week with a new guest. In the meantime, take a minute to go follow Heathen on Facebook, Twitter, and or Instagram. The handle is at Heathen Podcast. And you can also visit the website at heathenpodcast.com to learn more about this project. Send your comments or questions, and maybe we'll talk about them on an upcoming episode. Lastly, if you like what you hear, I would love and appreciate your five-star review on iTunes. It makes a huge difference for a new podcast. I'm Matthew Blake. Here's to the heathens. be a house cat whenever I'm reincarnated.